good to be with you and to share God's word and the blessings which God gives to us. And now our young folks are on their way to be blessed. And it's great to have them and have them enjoy this time of sharing in God's word. Just a quick reminder while they're doing that. Um, in your uh, hot off the press, you're going to find a letter or note about the uh, prayer pledge uh, that uh, Jerry was telling us about last Sunday, the 30-day prayer covenant. And read that note and go on a little bit further. It encourages you to think about the line, use me and those with whom I pray this prayer to lead others into a prayer covenant. It's exciting as we've heard the different people that are involved in this and the people in the uh, nominating committee and others. We thank God for this and I encourage you to be a part of it. Our scripture lesson this morning is in the 16th chapter of John. Last week was 15th, this is 16th. And uh, when uh, Drew asked me if I'd preach and said it's on that 16th chapter, I read that chapter through and I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> this isn't an easy one. <laughs> but uh, it's been a joy to be studying it and thinking about it and praying about it and uh, may God lead and direct as we think. If you look at this, he's been, Jesus has been sharing with the disciples and been talking to them and been teaching them. And last week you got that idea, I am the vine, you are the branches, all of those things. But now when you come to this chapter, 16, it's the last few moments. It's the last kind of teaching. He's all ready to go out because the beginning of the 17th chapter said, and they left and went out to a place where they prayed regularly to Gethsemane to pray and uh, where they had their the prayer time. So here he is, those last few moments, saying the words that he wants to say to them, but realizing that if he said the whole thing, they wouldn't understand it exactly, but giving them a little bit of the feeling and idea. So I picked the center part, 16 through 24, as our scripture lesson this morning, and uh, I invite you to look at it on the screen or find it in the Bible and hear these words from God's word. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, oh, what does this mean? What is he saying to us? A little while, and we'll no longer see you. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by this? A little while. We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while and you will no longer see me? And again a little while and you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a, man, when a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but 
I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Let us pray. O God, we ask that your word would be clear to us. We ask that you would bless as I speak and share, and may our hearts be open to hear your truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These final moments... What I started thinking about as I thought of this passage and thought of the disciples with him was a very special week in my life. It was between my junior and senior year of college. My mother had been diagnosed with cancer the November before. And now she was very sick. And it was that week, finally, that she passed away and died, went to be with the Lord. Why do I remember that? My three older sisters, my dad, and I were the hospice care for her. They didn't have the system they have now. And so in our home, we took care of my mom. And we knew that the end was close. We didn't know exactly when. We shared times. We talked. And probably most of you have some sort of a memory like that of the few moments A few days, the times before, someone that you loved and you cared for passed away or went on to a different part or way in life. This was a situation for the disciples. Jesus was there with them. And he'd been talking, and this chapter even makes more. In a little while, I'm not going to be seeing you. And then I'll see you. And they, instead of coming straight forward, it made me also think that when my mom was sick, the times that my sisters and I spent around the kitchen table downstairs away from her bedroom were times when we were saying, I wonder, how is she going to be? What's happening? And what did some of these things mean? The disciples were saying that sort of thing. He said a little while. He said, we're going to see him again. And Jesus turned and talked to them and said, you want to know about this, here's the answers. But it says also a little bit later in the chapter, he couldn't come all the way out and said, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be crucified. And by the way, three days from that, I'm going to rise from the dead. You and I, looking back at that time and that perspective, can see that dimension and say, this is what he was talking about. But can you believe Theologians are discussing about how long a period of time he was talking about. Was he just talking about the resurrection or was he talking about when he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came on and all that? Or was he talking about the second coming? But what we know is that Jesus was caring for his disciples. Jesus was ready for a step that meant suffering and pain beyond what we can imagine. And why? Why? 
because God brought him to earth and because God cared and God loves us and he wants us to join in his joy, his salvation, his hope. Jesus endured pain and suffering. He didn't exactly say it, but gave that idea as he talked to the disciples in those moments. He said, this is going to happen. And I want you ready for it. But if you hang in there, if you follow through with it, there's going to be a joy, a peace. And out of the confusion of the disciples, Jesus goes on to teach them and to share with them. Speaking to him of a necessary pain. The pain of the cross that he was looking forward to and remembering. And that they would know grief and sorrow and pain. But that was only the beginning. This is the preparation that Jesus was giving to them for a situation, the cross, which was no gain without a pain and the pain and suffering that he would have on the cross. Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for this painful moment. John chapter 16 and verse 20 is a verse that kind of carries the feeling of that. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into sorrow. And so he speaks to them and he uses a parable of illustration. That illustration is that in the pain and agony of labor and childbirth, there is pain and sorrow and, and, and just a tough time. And I guess just to depart a little bit, my first two sons were born in the hospital where I was herded off into a room and my wife went off and I sat there and paced back and forth and then tried to act calm and all of this. And then finally, finally, someone came to me and said, Oh, by the way, I thought, Mr. Chapman, you'd like to know that you have a son now. That wasn't true with my two younger sons. I was in Africa for both of them. And in both cases, we were at a clinic. First one in the clinic out in the jungle town. The second one in the hospital and actually our living room. And I went through that labor with Marybelle. Well, wait a minute. All of you women are looking at me and say, sure you did, Chappie. <laughs> but it, it wasn't anything like the first two. And through that pain, yes. Through that time of, of struggle. And then, and then... A son was born. And in each time there was a joy and a rejoicing. And Jesus said, the best illustration I can give is, you're going to hit it hard in a few days. I'm going to be leaving you. And what he was really saying, I'm going to be crucified. And you know that disciples scattered and went here and there. And they were gone during that time. And, and I've often tried to figure out the pain and struggles that they went through on and those coming days. But then he rose from the dead. And he had to have that pain in order for there to be the joy. Later, they would understand and realize that the dark sorrow of the cross gave way to the joy of resurrection. 
What does joy mean? Well, I'll tell you what came to mind. <laughs> Actually, it was Thursday evening. And I have to confess that the Mosers came over to Bellwood, where we're living now, to have supper with us. And supper was at 5.30, and there usually people start gathering about quarter after five. Mary Bell and, and, and Sally went on down to eat, and Stan and I stayed to watch the end of the opening day game. <laughs> well... You know, there were two outs and people on, two people on base, and, and the phone rang. My phone rang. And Maryville said, aren't you going to get down here for supper? Wait a minute. And just about that time, one swing of the bat, and what was sorrow turned into joy, if you want to put it, or happiness, I'd put it that way. And the next morning, when I got the Inquirer, I saw this picture and I thought, what a picture of a moment of happiness. <laughs> uh, well, after I finish the story, the people down in the dining room, uh, they were too interested in their supper than they were about what was happening. And I got in there, and it looked like, oh, here they go. Oh, dear, another game, another time. I said, they won. <laughs> they won. No, we can't believe that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But isn't that sort of the picture, the way it is? We need to follow all the way through to the end and, and come to the point of reeling, realizing that there can be a joy. There can be a, and then I'd want to just add a little bit about this picture and go on to the next thought of what's the difference between happiness and joy. And, and I know it's not a complete picture, but just the idea. For all of the us fancy fans, it was just a moment of happiness, so to speak. I'm not quite sure we would totally regard it as joy. But in a way, it would. But when you turn around and think of a team coming together, <laughs> a practicing of all of the training of all that they've had, and then seeing the product of what they've done, that, I think, with the hope that they have for the season, almost gets to the point of being joy. Joy. But I think there's a little bit more to us for Christians. One definition I found of joy was the happy state that results from knowing and serving God. And another one, joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's not something people can create by their own efforts. The joy of God was kind of came into human history through Jesus Christ. The note of joy and exaltation, his cheering that whole thing began, began with his birth and the angel announcing good things of great joy which shall be to all people are here now through Jesus Christ's birth. And this is the hope that we have. And you follow through the, the Gospels and you find Jesus is continuing to think of joy. The 15th chapter of, of Luke, for instance, when the, the scribes and Pharisees and all of those folks are, are all in kind of a bummer, 
Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the son. And how does he end of it? The joy at one person being saved. And so the whole message of the gospel is just exactly this, that Jesus came, that God sent his only son to die on the cross and amidst the sorrow and the pain, the purpose was that all might have life and that we might have salvation. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 kind of say a lot about that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Early in the morning this week, this particular phrase came to me. To kind of understand this idea of sorrow to joy. Who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And this was Jesus as he entered into this last moments of his life. Stepping forward to be crucified. To feel the pain. He endured the cross. Disregarding the shape. For the sake of the joy, the joy that all might be saved, that all might have new life through him. And so his part in making that possible brought to him a joy, a joy that you can't take away. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote a book about his finding Christ, titled it, surprised by joy and you know I think the whole concept of real joy comes in a relationship to God through Jesus Christ so we have pain now it says but I will see you again Jesus said to the disciples and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you this is the hope and this is the meaning of the whole experience of sorrow and pain that Jesus had. And he was just hoping to get that idea across to his disciples and hopefully across to us. He closes that passage in the 24th verse of John 16. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. A relationship to God, a perfect relationship that brings to us hope, brings to us joy, and makes it possible to be complete. You know, when you think of this, it's, it's almost hard to understand in our culture why would the God of the universe suffer and die for a broken, 
rebellious, sinful people. Why would he do that? And that's hard almost to understand. But when you see that, and think of it, the disciples didn't get it at that time. And we have a hard time fully understanding it, that God would endure sorrow that we might have joy. But that's the hope that we have. Sorrow to joy. God's gift of his son for us that we might live in joy and in hope. That's meant a lot to Mary Bell and to me. If you come to our house, and many of you have, there's a plaque on the wall, and it's colorfully designed, and our kids gave it to us for our 50th anniversary. The center verse is this. Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. A long time ago, 1959, we, we had the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone, West Africa, to teach. Well, Maribel had promised she would go with me anywhere I went, and I said to her, on one of our first dates. I feel a call to the mission field. But now it was getting down to really, <laughs> really what it meant. And I remember she said to me, I, I don't know that I can do this. And that night we prayed together. And God gave her this verse, which has been sort of a, a life verse for us. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. And I guess if I would say, looking back through my life, one of the greatest meanings of what it means to be a Christian is to have a, a joyful relationship with God through his salvation, which he paid for us on the cross. And one kind of fun thing about it is that a new translation came out just about the time we came back. And the second phrase was, you will go out with joy and be led back in peace. And that peace meant coming back to College Hill <laughs> and to be here. And the joy that we have through God's grace and through the pain of Calvary is something to praise God for. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your grace, for salvation that you brought through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Thank you for the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we come to the table of the Lord. And we come to the healing station time. And this time is a time if you have a need, a spiritual need. The scripture tells us if you, anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him and pray for their healing. And so we give that opportunity during this time. And also, if you would like to come and pray for someone else, the other thing that I would say to you is as you prepare your hearts for 
communion, I would just encourage you to just to open up your heart, come confessing your sins, make this a time of personal confession and drawing close to the Lord as we go to this time of healing. So I'd ask the elders if they would take their place as those that uh, would be available to pray with you, and then let us go to this time of praying for one another for healing. Thank you. 